It's, uh, it really is very good to be with you. It's kind of nice to be here and to, to be able to serve here with you. I, uh, I really started my time out in Montreal actually here at Fairview. And, um, and those of you who have uh, been a part of that journey, who like some of you really invited me into your homes and in your hearts. And we've been a part of the family here for uh, as long as we've been in Montreal. And so it's, it's, this is a special place for me and I would say a special time for me. So I'm, I'm excited. And uh, yeah, so being able to share with you this morning some of what God has been putting on my heart, um, and, and what I want to share with you this morning too is something, uh, it's something that, that is very much the way in which that I operate, the way in which that I, that I try and live my Christian life out. So uh, today's, the message is titled, Resistance is Futile, Okay. Now, I don't know if there are any Trekkies here. Anyone? Yeah, some? All right. We'll pray for you. <laughs> May the force be with you. Did I do that right? Is that it? No? Okay. Well, one of the big bad guys in, in Star Trek were the Borg. Okay, and the Borg were these uh, hybrid human-computer race. And they, they would essentially go and take over humanoids across the galaxy and assimilate them into the, uh, the hive mind, the Borg mind. And they would, the, their, catch, their, their tag phrase was, resistance is futile, so meaning that no matter where you go or, or how fast you go or where you hide, we will find you and we will make you a part of what we're doing. We will make you a part of who we are. And so there you, you see uh, the... the the Starship Enterprise being uh, beamed into to the big Borg ship. And it, it, it was an interesting thing in Star Trek because they had this opportunity, this, this kind of uh, setting to be able to set up all different kinds of ideas and thoughts that come out of the world and kind of explore them in the medium of TV. And so this idea of the Borg was this collective of people who their, their identities are removed and, and there's a utopia, but there's also no personality. There's no uniqueness. All that's kind of eliminated so that they could be one. It's kind of an interesting idea. Um, and, and the idea of Star Trek, you know, the, the Enterprise, uh, I don't know if you, you're more of a Kirk fan or a Picard fan. Uh, my mom was a Trekkie, and so I, I grew up watching uh, Jean-Luc Picard saying, uh, make it so. Um, those of you who, who watch, they know. They know what I'm talking about, yeah. This idea of being able to go and explore and, and, and to be free, to do whatever you want, it's, it's very much an idea that is something we uh, value in our society. Autonomy is, is very important, Identity within that autonomy is even more so, and it's now facilitated by the, by the advantages of being able to put whatever I want into cyberspace. I, I can be whoever I want. I can portray myself to be whatever I want. And so we live in a time when, when it is more possible to be unique than ever before. There's this word that's used there, uh, futile. You know what that means, something to be futile? The, uh, the definition of futile is incapable of producing any result, ineffective, useless, not successful. It's trifling, frivolous, or unimportant. 
We try to limit the amount of futile things in our lives, right? There's, a, there's, there's an app for that. There's an app to make your life uh, more organized. I have several that I don't use. Okay? There's an app to help you uh, lose weight, to feel healthy. There's apps to uh, entertain you. There are apps that uh, give you wisdom and access to information. And there's apps for your Bible, and I, I highly recommend that uh, you have an app with a Bible. How do you limit the futility in your life? How do you, how do you define purpose and meaning in your life? There's uh, one of my favorite um, Christian apologists, his name is Ravi Zacharias, and he says that... Uh, Every question that there is to man can be boiled down to four simple questions. And it's the answer of these four simple questions that life uh, is, is valued around. And it's the question of creation, the question of cre- uh, um, uh, purpose, morality, and eternity. Those four questions. That question of purpose is one that, that we, we chase. Right? We chase it in the way that we live our lives the careers that we have, the relationships that we have, who we spend our time with, how we spend our time. I am a very impressive person in video games. I've got a great high score. But is that my purpose? One of the things, and I do enjoy video games, uh, um, pray for me, but... One of the things I find about video games is I can get lost in what the feeling I receive in achieving something there, but it's false. Any of you um, uh, on the Candy Crush saga? Anyone? Yeah, no? Is that fad past? Yeah. It was crazy for a while there. Everyone was playing Candy Crush, and, and it does this little thing where you get these achievements along the way, and they just basically said, look, you've wasted this much time. Here's a, here's a candy you can have unwrapped digitally. How do we find this purpose? There's uh, other thing about futility is that we want to make sure that what we're doing, what we're investing our time in is meaningful. We don't want to waste time. And so we have all these apps. We, we have all these things that help us make sure that what we're doing is meaningful. Uh, but a lot of times you can end up doing something that doesn't actually have meaning in the end. I like uh, going to the beach with my family, um, but building sandcastles is futile, <laughs> especially with my youngest son who prides himself on his ability to crush sandcastles. And so my sandcastle that I build, and, and I'm not a very creative person, you know, but I'm proud of the sandcastle that I build. If I build it, i got to make sure and like he doesn't see it because as soon as he does, he's thinking about a way. It's just like, how am I going to get around dad and how am I going to stomp on that thing? When he inevitably crushes my sandcastle, I, I, why did I spend all that time? Now, I think making a sandcastle, there's a real therapeutic kind of endeavor there and so by all means make sandcastles, but 
when you are faced with whatever you have been investing your time in and it has come to nothing or has not amounted to what you expected it would amount to, you ask yourself, well, why did I spend all that time? There's a, there's a lot of good things to do in this world, but what is the best thing to do? And how do we know what that is? How do we figure that out? The, the passage I want to, to look at today is found in Ephesians. Uh, and, and I would have to say that Ephesians is one of my favorite epistles um, and has some of my favorite passages in it. And the passage we're going to look at today is probably one that you have heard before. Uh, it has what I think a very simple kind of idea within it. And yet it is often so difficult to obtain. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 uh, to 24. If you have your Bibles or your apps uh, ready, we'll just go through it. And I'm reading out of the uh, English Standard Version. I don't know if you use a a lesser version like the NIV, but uh, no? Okay. It says, and this is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. One of the things that is often kind of uh, argued about Christianity, or in re- religion really at, at, at large, is that it is the pursuit of those who are of lesser minds. That religion often uh, it gives the excuse to individuals to kind of check their rationality at the door. And that it is an emotional and, and, and a spiritual thing that is often devoid of intentional thought. And, and I would completely and absolutely disagree with that. And I would do so, one, because I like to think of myself as a smart person. <laughs> I don't know if that's you, but I like to think that I'm a reasonable person, that I am intelligent, and that I want, to, I want to have a good thought process for the things that I do and the reasons that I do them. If anyone ever tells me something, my question to them is why. I'm, I'm less concerned with actually, and maybe this will get me into trouble, I'm less concerned with actually being right or wrong than I am with understanding why. Having said that, I don't do anything that I don't think is right. We have arguments with people because we think we're right. We'll look at this first verse here, verse 17. It says, Now this I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There is, uh, there's a couple things going on here that I think are so fascinating. First off, I think Paul has identified that there are a couple ways to walk. Really, I think there's only two ways to walk. There's the way to walk as the Gentiles do. And Gentiles, I'm sure you are aware, just means nations. It just means the world. 
So you can walk as the world walks, or you can walk as God would have you walk. Those are the only two options. There's no other option aside from that. There's any other option that comes out of the world is just a worldly option. And Paul says that you must no longer walk as the world does. So how does the world walk? It's hard to kind of like wrap our minds around because I think, you know, as Christians, we want to be able to say, look, so we've got the Ten Commandments, we have all these rules, and we can point out how the rest of the world doesn't follow those rules, and so they must be wrong, and that must be the way that they're, they're, they're going, and, and, and this is what's, what's wrong with the world. And, and there's a certain amount of truth to that. But how are we so different from them then? The context of the, this passage, I think, is talking about transformation. How can we be changed? How can we be different? We're going to come back to this, and in the end, it, it talks about you putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And, and, and change is about growth. And growth is about change, and without growth, there is no change, and without change, there is no growth. A uh, shark... If it stops moving, it, it suffocates. If you're not going anywhere, then, then you're going nowhere. So what is the result of your mind? Because Paul's saying that the walk of the Gentiles is a futile thing that comes out of their thinking. And that you must not do that. Now Paul's talking to the church. We can't go outside to the world and say to the world, well, you guys, you can stop what you're doing. You're doing it all wrong. Paul's not doing that, so I, I, I'm not sure what our capacity is in doing that either. He's speaking to the church. And he's saying, don't walk as the world walks. What is the power of the mind? I'm sure you're, you've heard of positive thinking. If I just think good thoughts, then I'll be happier right? If I can, in a bad situation, impact my mind around this, then it will change the way that I'm experiencing this. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. Uh, there's a phrase, uh, mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. I've heard that before. No? And there's, there really is uh, a seed of truth in that. But I'm not sure that positive thinking can actually transform a life. That there's no amount of knowing what is right and knowing what is wrong that will actually change who you are. And, and <laughs> the proof of that is, is found in addiction counseling rooms. It's found in marriages. It's found in relationships. It's found in church. One of my fun phrases that I like to say is a problem with church is that it's filled with people. It's the main problem. If you get rid of that problem, there's no more problems in church. You also don't really have much of a church. Dio Moody, he um, uh, talked about, he had this illustration of, of transforming a person. He talked about a, uh, a railroad thief, someone who would come along and steal the, the spikes of the railroad and steal the ties. And he, he said, you can't, educate that person into morality. You, you take that railroad thief and you send him to college and you give him an education and when he gets out of that, he's not going to stop stealing the railroad ties and the spikes. He'll just steal the whole railroad. 
Because positive thinking, intelligence, it doesn't actually form our character. Our character needs to form those thoughts. But there's this futility to believing that whatever I think, that's going to be the difference. And I don't know about you, but in my Christian walk, I have striven to be a good follower of Jesus. I've striven to be a good son, a good husband, a good father, and I have fallen short. And it's, and it's worse for me, I don't know about for you, but for me, like, I'm, I'm supposed to be a pastor, I'm ordained now, okay? So there's this reverend thing, and there's all this expectation, well, I should know better, and yet I'm still faced with the fact that I sin. I'm still faced with the fact that, that when I look at the promises of God and when I look at his word and I have this expectation that I be that and, and I look at my life and, and, and wonder, why am I still falling short? I know all the right things. How often have I, has God spoken to me um, about a situation in my life as I've been trying to counsel or encourage someone else? As I can't take my own advice, and so God has to speak to me when I'm, when I'm advising someone else and convicts me in that moment. See, walking in the futility of their minds, Paul's saying that the Gentiles, the world, is limited to a finite understanding when it comes to transformation. That, that in the world, they are limited to a human capacity. I want to, um, I was looking at, at, at this word futility and, and just, I was on my good friend Google and, and asking him questions. And I came across an article and I want to share it with you. It's just, it's a couple parts of it, so please bear with me. So sometimes we just don't see the point in doing anything anymore. We assess our lives in a way that capitalizes the temporal and permanent and consumerist nature of our lives. We focus on our failures or lack of success or lack of satisfaction and fulfillment. And this can lead us to feel lonely, hopeless, or especially fed up with how our lives have turned out. Feeling this way is perfectly okay. It's a natural mindset and the mood that visits us from time to time, some more than others. This, these feelings can serve a purpose. They can help us align with a reality and a way of life more conducive to total acceptance and inner peace. These feelings can also help us transcend former realities where we were existing in acceptance and peace but have outlived our stay. In order to allow these emotions to help us grow more into life, we need to learn how to interact with them. When we feel that deep sense of futility, it is often due to a lack of focus or clarity in life, a lack of alignment. We feel this sense of futility when we fail to nurture our true natural expression, when our hearts are closed and our, and our innocent, playful inner child is suppressed. We feel these heavy emotions. Maybe we need to nurture ourselves more. Maybe we need to stop bombarding ourselves with excess sources of stress. Maybe we need to create more time and space in our daily lives to explore our inner creativity, joy, and talents. Maybe we need to take the time to find beauty within ourselves and throughout the world and in other people. This journey of introspection is best traveled with the same receptivity to ease and space. Allow your inner child to speak louder. Allow that curious, playful, and shameless part of you to flourish once again. Just say yes to this part of you and allow yourself to make room within your heart and mind and attention to really nurture this aspect of you. As I was reading that and contrasting that to what this scripture was saying, um, I just... To me, it really epitomized what I felt like the, the, the wisdom of the world was saying. 
And the author of this article is basically saying, look, the, the, there's a natural tendency towards feeling a futility. We all come to this place where we question and wonder about our purpose, about meaning, why am I doing this, especially when things get hard or when things don't go the way that we expected them to. And, and, and it's interesting that, that this person seems to suggest that, well, what you need to do then is just focus back on you. Get back to who you are. You've, you've lost alignment. And so you need to realign yourself. You need to refocus. Talks about an inner child, and, and I don't know, it really kind of gets, it starts to lose me at that point in time, but it seems like it's pretty good advice. I had to think about what, because for being good advice, it bothered me. It bothered me. And it took a while to put my finger on it, but what I realized, and it comes out of this passage, is that what the person is suggesting is to solve the problem with part of the problem. Because it doesn't ask the question, how did I come to this place of feeling futile? See, if you were to read this for the first time, if you were the first time you were experiencing this and you, you put this kind of wisdom into practice and so you focus on yourself, you realign yourself to what you think is important and you go on, how long will it be until you find yourself in that place of feeling lonely and wondering about your purpose and wondering why you're here? Because what we can provide to that problem is a finite solution. It is the result of the futility of what we can provide. So when it goes on, when Paul says in 18 and 19, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This idea of transformation, that God wants his church, his people, his followers to be different is significant, not just because he wants more for us in our lives, but that he actually wants our lives to be something that tells others about who he is. And so if we are just living in futility, then we're no different than the people around us. So if we don't have something more, then what can we give? How is the, the answer that comes out of just me any better than the answer that comes out of just you? And so Paul says they're darkened in their understanding. Their understanding is what is dark. And when I think about this, it's just like, when, if you think you understand why the lights are off, and then you, you, you think that you can see. And maybe, maybe in that moment, it's like, believing that um, uh, you can really see the world, but you're colorblind. Have you seen those, uh, those, those YouTube videos of the, 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 young, the young guys or the adults putting on the, like, the, the frequency glasses and seeing color for the first time? If, if, you, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's amazing to watch as you see someone for the first time experiencing this world the way it was meant to be experienced in color. And I, I kind of think that, that, that before that, their understanding of the world is kind of, it's, it's, it's not as much as, it, there's a futility to it. They're darkened in their understanding. Their understanding is limited. But when they put those glasses on, all of a sudden, they see things differently. 
Paul says that they're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of hearts. So the first thing I just want to talk about is this idea of the life of God. There's some good Christianese for you. Oh, you just need more of the life of God. Okay. Well, what's that? I think it's easy to kind of associate what it is to be a Christian with some sort of moralistic behavior, uh, life living. You just follow these rules. You know, go to church. And when you do, wear a suit, look good, be presentable. Make sure that, that people think well of you. And, and often what that tra- translates to is make sure people don't know that much about you. But that the life of God is not just this moralistic, behavioralistic way of living, but it's actually a person. That the life of God is, is not just uh, a person, but a relationship with a person. And so that if you're alienated from that, that means you're, just, you're out of relationship with that person. There's something between you and them. They're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance. They just don't know. They just don't know. How do you explain to someone who has no concept of color what color is? They just don't know. They're ignorant. But then he also says it's due to their hardness of heart. So it's one thing to not know something on the basis of ignorance. You know, when we judge someone, uh, like with my sons, the first time they make a mistake... You know, they get in trouble, but it's, it's, it's not nearly as much trouble as they get in the second time they make that same mistake. Because the difference between the first time and the second time is this, the second time, you should know better. I told you. We talked about this. Ignorance is something that's on us as well, and that we need to live those transformed lives, that we've been called to be light and salt, a city on a hill, that God makes his appeal through us, So we have a responsibility within that sense of their ignorance, sure. But what about the hardness of heart? And it's this hardness of heart that I really want to say that that this is something that is just as much inside of the church as it is outside of the church. Because knowing what's right doesn't necessitate that you aren't alienated from the life of God. If that's not the case, then why was Jesus so angry and frustrated with the Pharisees? The Sadducees, the ones who were supposed to know what was right, the ones who were supposed to know what was best, and they were the ones who were living the way that God had called them to live. Paul talks about this. uh, He says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. There's an interesting contrast there. Now, I I used to work hard with these hands, but now I'm a pastor, and uh, all my calluses are gone. Now, I'm not saying that pastors don't work hard, okay? Mary, Mary. <laughs> He's just like, oh, you don't think pastors work hard. <laughs> we'll see you Monday. <laughs> I used to have calluses on my hand where I could work without gloves. And, and, and the reason I would gain those calluses is because I worked hard. I worked, I worked in a warehouse. I worked with wood. And, and, and my hands would toughen up as they, as they were cut and as the skin would, like, uh, uh, as I would get blisters and it would harden, and, and, and there was strength in that. But it also kind of meant that I couldn't feel. My, uh, my father-in-law, he, uh, he works uh, so crazy. He's, he's, uh, he works as a dairy farmer. Okay? And uh, now he shovels all kinds of things. We won't get into that. And so his hands, like the calluses on his hands are just crazy. 
Like it's to a point, and, and because he works in a very dusty, dry place as well, that uh, his hands get so, so dry that like the, the cracks in his fingers, okay, they're actually cracks. And they're almost like one or two millimeters deep. That, they, that it's actually quite painful for him. And so he'll go through a bottle of lotion in like three days. And, and he would go, and, 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 and I, would, I thought about this, that, that like holding a child to him is a little bit different. Because he can't feel that baby skin. Because he's got these calluses. And what a difficult way to understand what it means to have a hard and callous heart. How is it that we're supposed to be relating to God? How is it that we're supposed to, to know who he is or, or, or to know what he wants for us if there is a callus over that part of us that's supposed to be able to be in connection with him? And, and, and I love what it says here about, about the, the, this contrast. is They became callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. What if it, it was switched a little bit? They gave themselves up to sensuality and became callous. That as we pursue uh, an experience, as we pursue um, what we believe will give us joy, what it actually does is begin to harden us. And, and, and this is some of the futility that I think we get out of the world's wisdom. It was, it's the, the question that that, that, that author was, wasn't asking. How did I get here in the first place? What have I been pursuing? Why is it that I'm still not satisfied? Blaise Pascal um, coined the term a God-shaped hole in your heart. And yet we try and fill that hole with all kinds of different stuff, but the only thing that will... like Have you ever seen those... <laughs> using YouTube a whole bunch. I don't spend this much time on YouTube, okay? I, I, <laughs> but there's these videos on YouTube where they're all just like things going together perfectly. They're like for OCD people, you know, like the perfectly cut cake, or like the machinery where everything like folds together. Have you ever seen one of those? It just pay attention to Facebook. One will come up sooner or later. But that there's a satisfaction when things just fit. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> there is no satisfaction like the way Jesus fits in my heart. And, and, and that is something that is an experience which is transformative. That when I'm in connection with Jesus, I can live a, a different kind of life. That no longer do I, I, I struggle with purposelessness or futility. Because my purpose isn't just from me. Oh, thank you. I'm also trying to get over some sickness, so no one touch this water after I've, I've drank. And remember that Paul is talking to the church that it's easy to allow that callousness to creep into the church. That we need to be on guard from that. That we can pursue going to church in a way that alienates us from God. That we can do the right things in the right ways and miss the right person. Amen. See, Paul, he, he goes on, he says, that's not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Last week, what was the message about? I know you all know it, so I'm just going to go on anyways, okay? <laughs> Pastor Mario talked about a lot of different scripture, okay? But the one that, uh, 
that I want to talk about is Luke 9, 23. Do you remember talking about this? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there's some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. To follow Christ means to deny ourself. The futility of the, the way of the world is to put ourself first. The way of the world is to put the focus on me. That was the advice that that author of the article said. Just get back to you. Set free your inner child. But Christ says, if you would follow me, you got to lose your life. Because when we lose our life for him, we gain his. And now we don't have our life anymore and the finite reality that that is, but we have the infinite possibility of the life of God. So we come to this part of the passage that really kind of articulates transformation. Put off the old self and put on the new self. It would be really easy to simply relegate that to stop doing the bad things and start doing the good things. Except I have been, in my own experience, not very fruitful in doing that. I don't know about you, maybe you got a better app or a program or something that helps you stop doing the bad stuff and start doing the good stuff, but I have been faced with making not just multiple mistakes, but making the same mistake over and over and over again. And feeling the guilt and shame of coming before the Lord and saying, God, I'm sorry, and I know I knew better, but I'm sorry. And then wondering, why, God, why? Well, it's because we miss this one little part of the verse. See, it says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. But there's nothing inside of this body of mine that actually is going to please God. That on my best day, I'm a terrible person. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I, uh, I played football a lot when I was a kid. Um, and I loved it. I love football. Uh, I have a hard time watching football now because I, I get a little bit ramped up, and I want to, like, hit someone, and so I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not really allowed to watch football anymore. <laughs> My son uh, plays, uh, which is very exciting for me, and, uh, but I have a hard time because uh, I want the, the kids to do it right, and, and I try to be very respectful and supportive of the coaches, but sometimes I wonder, and it's hard. I learned a lot about life in football. And one of the things that I learned is as much as I need to physically prepare my body to be able to do the things that I'm called on to do, I need to prepare my mind. And one of the things that my coach told me that just blew me away as a kid was that football is 90% mental and 10% physical. And that is, that, is, that is crazy because, like, football, you're, you're, you're smashing your body against other people who are smashing their body against you. That the, the way that you move the ball from one end of the field to the other is to sacrifice your physical self for someone else. That like throwing a block is a complete commitment. Because if I hold back even just an iota, I'm going to get hurt. 
And all of that physicality is only 10% of the game. Because in the game, no matter how well I train my body, I might come to a place where if I stop and think, I'm dead. I miss the block. I miss the play. I miss the catch. And so my coaches would tell me, look, you need to, before you play, before you practice, sit in your bed, sit at home, and just think about doing it. Think about making that catch. Think about making that block. Think about making that tackle, giving that handoff, whatever it is. Envision yourself doing that. And it worked. When it came to those situations, I was prepared. I'd already seen it because I'd been envisioning it. Now, that was me as a, as a young man and, 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 and in, a, in a finite way using wisdom that was really good and really effective. It, I became a very uh, successful football player. Now, if I could gain that kind of success, training my body the way in which that I was supposed to and training my mind the way in which that I was supposed to, what would it look like for this community if we started to train our bodies and train our minds in the way that God has for us? That when we renew the spirit of our minds, what we're doing is allowing our minds to be formed and shaped by the truths and promises that God has for us in his word. And if you're calloused, if you've become desensitized, you can't receive those the same way. How can you hear, I love you, from God if you're alienated from him? And thank God that he doesn't allow that alienation to be an excuse for us not to be able to hear from him, but that he does send his son. He does come after us. He does go into the darkness. He does come to us when we're alone and says to us, whispers to us like a father, you are my child and I love you. But how many times does a father have to come to the child and tell him that before the child actually responds? Because every time we hear that, every time God speaks to us and we don't listen, a layer goes up. And God speaks to us and a layer goes up. And it's not until we actually start to align our lives and focus on him that we begin to see transformation. It's not when I put off the old self and put on the new self. It's when I focus on him and allow him to do it in me. And so the reason why I find so much failure in my pursuit of being holy is because there's nothing I can do to be holy. But it's only what Jesus has done for me and does in me that makes me righteous and holy before God. We fail at transformation because we tried to accomplish it. The new self is created after the likeness of God in Christ Jesus. How can we put that on? We have to let him do it. We have to let him do it. And the way in which that we let him do it means that we have to evaluate ourselves. This passage is couched in the mind. That the futility of the mind of Gentiles, that, that's going nowhere. And, and here at the end, Paul's saying, you need the spirit of your mind to, be, mind to be renewed. There is a mental component to this that we need to be aware of. You need to think about your life and think about what God wants for your life. I said that there are a lot of good things to do, and I think that there are a lot of good things to do, but the best thing to do is what Jesus wants you to do. And I'm sorry, I don't know exactly what that is. You're going to have to ask him you got to know for yourself because he doesn't just want mindless Borg. He doesn't just want these automatons who just like 
execute a program. What he wants is a relationship. And when you live out that relationship, your life is going to look different and it's going to look attractive. People are going to want to know, like, why does it seem like you live with such purpose? Why does it seem like you have so much life? When you can tell them it's, it's not because of my life, it's because of the life of God. This, this week, as you come into it, um, you know, I was not informed that my first week here was going to be a week of fasting. <laughs> Some fine print for you. Oh, and we're fasting. What? I, uh, <laughs> fasting is a diet method, just not a very fun one. As you come to this week, I want for you to have your minds renewed. And as Pastor Mara said, that fasting is not about like just abstinence. It's not just about avoiding food. It's not just about this criteria of, look, you need to eat here or don't eat here, or this is what you eat, these many calories. That is about allowing God to renew your mind and removing distractions from that. And I don't know about you, but I am very distracted by food. Like, I am rushing right now because I know there's a potluck coming. But this week, what is it in your life that you've put up callous around? Because this thing about transformation, though I wish it was, like, instant and, and complete, that God is working on my life one piece at a time. And so what part of your life is God working on this week? Because he's doing something not just in your life, but in this community. And there's something about this community that he wants out in that community. That he doesn't want them to walk in the ignorance that they have found themselves in. But that he wants them to have the life of God. And to see how well and good that fits. But it begins with us. And it begins what God is doing in our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, I just, I thank you so much for your love for us. Jesus, that you didn't count equality with, with God, something to be grasped, but that you emptied yourself, lowering yourself, humbling yourself to become a little babe, surrendering to the will of your Father and dying on a cross so that we could be in relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you more. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear you God, I pray that you would give us courage, strength, and boldness that as we hear you, that we would move in obedience. We thank you, Lord, that it is not about us, but that it is about you. You are what's best about our lives now. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would be with us and that your presence would be very real. Lord, because we know that there is more to be done. That there is more out there that need to know of your name and need to know the transformation that you bring. So God, we surrender ourselves to you to follow your way and no longer the way of our former self. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.